Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm really happy that you joined us in this episode today. We've got a great one coming up, so let's get right to it. We're talking today about living counterculture, being the most dangerous man in the room. Now, this is going to be a multi-episode series with possible alert messages, depending on whatever political events or persecution efforts may abound. I may give a special message in, in between, but in general, for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at living counterculture, and today the topic is be the most dangerous man in the room. You know, the times ahead for believers in Christ, they're going to be tougher than a $2 stake. I absolutely believe in the premillennial rapture of the church, but you know what? That doesn't mean that we won't suffer for Christ before Christ comes for the church. Now, living counterculture is is living against the direction of the dominant culture, the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist of the moment, the world system. And I will say for some of you to do this, to start living counterculture, a change will be required for some of you. But for others who are listening today, you already are doing that. In fact, you enjoy doing that. And I say to you, keep on trucking, baby. Now, living counterculture makes you the most dangerous man in the room. Why do I say that? Well, if you live against the general flow of your culture today, then on your high school team, in your corporate boardroom, or in your infantry squad, or on your street where you live, you will appear to those who just don't get it to be the most dangerous man in the room. Now, I'm pretty sure after 30 plus years of ministry that I'm on a list. And if I'm not, I'm working hard to get on one. I would actually be disappointed if I'm not on somebody's list as one of the most dangerous people that has to be taken care of because I'm just not going in the flow of the culture today. Now, who is the most dangerous man in the room? Well, that would be me getting on a jet. You see, before I board a jet, I've already observed all of you waiting out there, and I know who the troublemakers probably could be, and I know some people who might help me against them. Uh, uh uh-oh, I probably did it. I'll never fly again. I'm on a list now for sure. Well, hey, listen, if you're not thinking like that, you are completely useless. You need to begin to get your head in the game and your heart in the game so that you become, to one degree or another, the most dangerous man in the room. You need to be on the list of those who hate God. And if you're not, I will teach you how to get on that list. Now, let's flip that over. If I'm in the culture of the day, I am totally consumed and and, uh, I'm the embodiment of the the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. I'm going, man, wherever the world's going, man, who's fighting anything? I'm going with the world. If, If I'm one of those people, then... 
my the the person that I'm going to be worried about is a person who lives for Jesus Christ, because to me that would be the most dangerous man in the room. Whether it's at my school, where I work, you know, on the sports field, whatever your uh, arena and wherever you live is, you see, to people who are completely trapped within the flow of the world system. Christians are the problem. You see, Christians must be controlled, coerced, contained, confronted, convicted, confined, and if necessary, canceled. And by that, I mean completely eliminated. He said, come on, Francis, lighten up. Hey, listen, you need to get your head in the game because right now, all over the world, Right this minute, there are people who live for Christ who are experiencing every single thing that I just read out. Many are imprisoned, and many have been and will be executed for their faith in Jesus. And because of their faith in Jesus, they cannot go with the flow of the world system there within. Now, once upon a time, the Roman Empire had a problem. They had a problem like that, and the normal procedure was just to kill them. So they did. But he walked out of the grave and spent 40 days with his followers until he was raptured into heaven in the sight of about 500 people. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will return to overthrow the godless kingdoms of the world to establish a new eternal kingdom under his rule. Now Rome has a really big problem. You see, a coming kingdom requires leaders who prepare the way. Jesus Christ ordained 12 such people. They're called apostles. They're specially appointed messengers and representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. There were only 12. You remember that the Lord originally had 12 disciples, but Judas bailed, and Judas is eternally lost. So that left the Lord after the resurrection with 11, and another one later named Saul was chosen to take the place of Judas, in in my opinion. Now, we know in the book of Acts that Matthias was picked to take the place of Judas immediately. So, okay, we'll count him, 12. So then there are 13 when you include Paul, depending on how you, uh, where you place Matthias. And we could get into a theological discussion on that, but I don't want to do that. So we'll just say there's 13 And Saul was the last one chosen, that's for sure. And he was so changed after meeting Christ that he changed his own name and his way of life. Now, before Christ, Saul was all about being with the culture, keeping Israel intact, keeping the temple worship going. And he had a a very much a go-along to get-along approach where Rome was concerned. He didn't like Rome, don't get me wrong, but, but he knew how to play the game. Now that was before Christ, but after he met Christ, 
Saul changed his name to Paul, and Paul was only about Christ and preparing people to be a part of the coming kingdom of Christ and the new culture which would replace the old culture, making his life and teaching highly counterculture. Paul was the most dangerous man in the room to Rome. To make it even worse, from Caesar's point of view, Paul became even more dangerous when he recruited more people to follow him as he followed Christ. And that's where we jump in right now in the book of Titus that's in the New Testament toward the end, the book of Titus chapter 1. We're going to look at that, but let me give you a quick overview of this letter that Paul wrote to his helper, Titus. Titus was, was not mentioned in the book of Acts, so we believe that he began to work with Paul after the, the history is recorded in the book of Acts, or at least he's not mentioned uh, until after that point. Now, let me tell you, Titus was a true spiritual operator. When Paul had a very difficult problem, there were people that he could not send. In fact, if it was really difficult, there was only one person he could send, and that would be Titus. So Titus was sent to straighten out the mess on an island in the Mediterranean called the island of Crete. It's the fourth largest island in that area, and a, a very influential place, by the way. So Titus, a true spiritual operator, was sent there, and Paul wrote him a letter after he was there giving him instruction on, on living counterculture, being the most dangerous man in the room in order to rescue the island of Crete. And it was probably, the letter was probably written around A.D. 63 to 65, somewhere in that range. It was written by the great Apostle Paul, it was after his first imprisonment and he was released, but we know it was before his second imprisonment which led to his martyrdom for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what was Paul's main overarching message to Titus to straighten out the mess on the island of Crete? I got this from somebody else. I was reading commentary, so I can't remember exactly who it was, but if they hear it, they'll know that I'm uh, giving them credit in an indirect way. <laughs> what, what Paul sent Titus back to Crete to do was to teach the people who were believers on the island of Crete, the church there, to love, do, and teach what is good to love, do, and teach what is good. And I thought that was, man, that's, that's it in a nutshell right there. But here's the problem. This is why only the true spiritual operator, Titus, the most dangerous man in the room on the island of Crete, this is why he was picked to go back and do that because he had to teach this to lazy, undisciplined, immoral people who would fold like a cheap card table under pressure and turn them into the most dangerous men in the room spiritually on Crete, speaking for the kingdom of God. Man, what an assignment. Well, let's jump right in right here. See it for yourself. Now, I'm going to read the whole chapter, the first chapter of Titus, 
Then we're going to come back and concentrate on the first five verses. So this is what Paul wrote to Titus. These were his battle orders, so to speak. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior, to Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every church as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Christians are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Under the pure, all things are pure, but under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Wow, you can see that Titus had his hands full. <laughs> he, he had to straighten this out. Now let's go back and look at the first five verses and break this down. So we know the writer of the letter is Paul. Why? Because in, in Greek times, or Roman times, and the, in the way the Greek world did things, the Roman Greco world for all you scholars out there, that when you wrote a letter back then, you put your name first. You see, when we get a letter, I've got to read it all the way to the end to find out who sent me the letter. <laughs> well, they did it logically. He puts his name first, Paul. So here's a changed man. He used to be Saul, but he doesn't go by that anymore because he met Christ and everything was different after that. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now let's break that down. Paul says of himself, 
that he is a doulos, that there are several Greek words for slave and servant. This is the lowest one. Paul said, hey, I'm the lowliest servant you can imagine of God. But it also has the idea that he does this out of love by a choice. He has chosen to serve Christ who died for him. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul states here without any doubt at all that he knows for sure that Christ picked him to be one of the apostles, whether you count them as 12 or 13. And like I said, we'll, we'll say it's 13. He says, well, I'm one of them because Jesus Christ met me living on the Damascus Road, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And you can read about that in the book of Acts. But Paul says here that he is a the lowliest form of servant uh, bound by the chains of love to God, and he is a hand-picked messenger of Jesus Christ. And he says here, according to the faith of God's elect. So he's been picked to to strengthen and help grow those that God has chosen from eternity past to be saved. And he says here, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. So we see him homing in right here on what Titus is going to have to go back to Crete, or he left him on Crete to take care of. The problem there is they said they had truth, but their lives were not reflecting that in a godly way of living. In fact, it was a contradiction to what they said they believed. So he says, uh, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. You know how I can know that Christ is coming to my life? Now, I don't mean this the wrong way, but I become more and more like Jesus Christ. And uh, trust me when I tell you, I've got a gabillion miles to go, but you should have seen me before. <laughs> so the, the more you walk with Christ, the more you begin to see life, think about life and make decisions, and, and you're just in the flow of how he looks at everything. And Titus is to go back to Crete and help these new believers in Christ get with the program. If, if Paul was the most dangerous man in the room to Rome, then Titus is the most dangerous man in the room on the island of Crete, and he's to raise up more just like him so that the church will grow very strong on this formerly pagan island. Now, he says in verse 2 that, uh, let, let's just go back to 1, let me read through to 2. Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So we see that, that Paul and Titus and, and hopefully the believers on the island of Crete Hopefully you, and I know I do, we are to live, we do live in the hope of eternal life. Now, you know, the problem that we have here when we read this is we say things like, well, I hope it works out. 
Well, I hope I get that promotion. Well, I hope this happens. I hope that happens. That's not the word here at all. Now, in English, it looks like it is, but in hope means that I have a a certitude. I mean, it's certain. It's sure. It's not going to fail. It's a done deal. I'm just not walking in the reality of it yet. I have a certain confidence of eternal life. Why are you saying that, Pastor Ed? You all that on a bag of chips? No, I'm not. But I'm not. Nobody's going to be saved because of what they're like. They're going to be saved because they have made an exchange of their life for the life of Christ. Now, that's getting really deep, and I don't really have time to explain all of that right now. But the point is, they've been saved. Because they've been saved, When God looks at them now, he doesn't look at them. He sees them through the righteousness of Christ. It's sort of like, it's sort of like when I go to heaven, I'm going to be wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm with him. And the arrow is pointing at Jesus. You get it? You know how you've seen those t-shirts, I'm with the band and that kind of thing. You know, like backstage security, that kind of stuff. I'm with Jesus. I'm in. It's done. All I got to do is to get my ticket stamped, you know, you know, cancel when I die. Can't wait. When I draw my last breath here, my first breath, next breath will be in heaven. I live in the hope, the certainty, the assurance of eternal life. And he says here, which God that cannot lie. Let me ask you something. God can't lie. We know that. It says this and we know this. But even if he could, would he lie to you about something as important as that? Of course not. Well, he can't lie anyway. He won't lie. Which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But hath in due times manifested, he's shown it through his word, through preaching. Do you know the, and I I say this reverently, scripturally, you know the silly way God has chosen for people to come to Christ through preaching. Oh man, come on. I mean, you would think that God would be so with it, he would use Instagram and Twitter and all of that. God does it through preaching. Wow. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching. Over the years, we as the church and Christians have tried to think up of every way possible to bring people to Christ. You know, what if we could do an ad campaign in prime time on all the major networks? Or this or that. Well, I'm not saying that people wouldn't come to Christ through that. But you know what? But it says about God, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, through proclaiming Christ. That's what preaching is, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. You see, Paul understood without any doubt that he was given battle orders, as it were. Or if you think in terms of being the lowliest of slaves, he was given a commandment by his master. He knew for sure that the thing that he should do is preach Jesus Christ, 
Why do, why do I know that? Why am I so sure about that? Because it says that this, uh, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. So that's, that's the setup, the first three verses. So now the letter starts. That was just the introduction. <laughs> Verse four, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. Now, Paul had many helpers like Timothy, Dr. Luke, Barnabas, Silas, and, and many others that he lists, for example, at the end of the, the book of Romans in the New Testament. M many people mentioned there. But here, he says, to Titus, my own son, after the common faith. He had a special regard for Titus because Titus could be counted on to do the work that would be almost impossible for others to do. And he was able to entrust those hard jobs to Titus because he was his true son in terms of Christianity. Not, not literally his son, but, but it's like if Paul had a son, <laughs> he would look just like Titus. Now he says here to Titus, my own son after the common faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now that grace, mercy, and peace is an extremely common form of greeting during these times. Grace, mercy, and peace to someone. And then they, maybe they're mentioned and then the letter begins. But you know, everything in Christianity raises things, if it, if it uses it from current culture, it raises it to a lofty, elevated level. And that happens here. Why? Because grace is the undeserved love and favor from God. We didn't do anything to get it. And, and God gives it to us. That's in Christ. So we have the grace of God. And then we have mercy from God. God, I mean, he would be completely just in killing me right now and pushing my body over the edge of the cliff into hell for eternity. And he would never be wrong to do that. I do not deserve the grace and mercy of God. And you don't either. But you know what? If you're trusting Christ, you have been freely given the grace of God and you live in the mercy of God. We deserve, you know, it's funny. I, I tell you what, it's hilarious to me when I see people marching around demanding justice. Hey, I get the whole thing that everybody ought to be treated as a human being. I'm down with that. But I'll tell you what, when you think in terms of sin and spiritual things, I'm the last person that's going to demand justice from God because if I got from God what I deserve, I wouldn't be preaching today. You wouldn't be listening either. We would all be gone. This planet would be one vacant ball floating in space. I think that we ought to think more in terms of needing the grace and mercy of God. And you know what? When we have that, we have peace. So he says to Titus, my own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace. The war is over, my friends between you and God when you come through His Son, Jesus Christ. Several of the tribes I've been told in 
in uh, the remotest parts of Africa in times past, I don't know about now, but when they, when they would be in a state of war, they would have a peace child exchange between the tribes. One of their children would be given to the other tribe. And if they wanted that child to live, they would abide by the peace agreement. Both tribes would do that. You, you see what I'm saying? Jesus is God's peace child. We deserve to be in a state of war with God warring against us. Christ has been given as God's peace child that there could be peace between us and God. Now, everybody doesn't experience that today. Only those who bow the knee to King Jesus. Now, I don't care whoever else you're bowing to or with, won't do you any good. When it comes to God, you have to bow your knee to King Jesus. So we have this grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, verse 5, we could call a a purpose clause, let's say. Why has this letter been written? Well, here it is. We don't have to guess. Verse 5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every church as I had appointed thee. Warren Wearsby says that that phrase that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, that, that phrase, thou shouldest set in order, is the idea of a leg being broken and being set so that it can mend. Same word. For this cause left I thee in Crete that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. You see, the, the Christians there and the churches there were hurting they, they were lacking things because they did not have spiritual leadership, pastors over their churches. So Titus has been left there with the specific instruction to set in order the things that are wanting. And what is he to do to do that? Well, it's right there at the end of the verse. And ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Now, who are these elders? These are the presbyters. These are the pastors, the shepherds over the Christian flocks in these cities. And these would be men who would care for the flock. They would become in a a micro manner the most dangerous men in the room spiritually who would defend the flocks committed to their care. Well, you can see why Rome now had big problems They thought they ended it when they crucified, killed, and buried the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he came out of that grave, so the problem started right there. And then Christ called the Apostle Paul, who was absolutely fearless in his service to Christ. And we'll see that. And then Paul multiplies himself through men like Titus, who is now going to multiply himself through the elders that he raises, the pastors that he raises up to shepherd these churches. Well, I tell you, friends, living counterculture is not for sissies. It's not for people who live and die by their social media standing. 
is, you see, unless you want to abandon the smoking wreckage of modern culture and invest yourself 100% in the coming kingdom, then you can't be in it. Think about that. Jesus Christ is calling people to live counterculture. Just as in China, a social score is now given to everyone on the basis of whether they obey the Chinese Communist Party and the smallest details, and it affects their social standing, which can make their relatives disown them if they're not playing the game and dancing the dance. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, when that comes to America, and it will come, trust me, when that comes to America, you will decide if you want to go with the flow, stay in the the, uh, zeitgeist of the moment, the world system, or whether you want to walk away from that, turn your back on it, and come to Jesus Christ and invest yourself 100% in the coming kingdom. You know, the other day, after I saw, I guess, the umpteenth ad of just crazy happy families and all the beauty they lived around and just life was just so good and they had all the newest of stuff and all that, and I looked around where I was and I thought, well, I don't have any of that. Huh. You know, I, th- I thought a little deeper, though. I thought about how despised and unwithit I am by the culture around me. And what appears will be the culture of the future no matter who becomes president in 2020. But you know, I thought about it more deeply and then I smiled when I thought about the culture and the kingdom that's coming that will replace it and how wealthy and respected I will be in that coming kingdom. I'm good. You can keep your culture. I'm waiting for Christ. And that makes me the most dangerous man in the room. If you're at a point where you're ready now to turn your back on this pagan culture, you should should get on a knee, not for anybody's race or anybody's movement. You should get on your knee for Jesus Christ and ask Him to save you, point blank. Come to Christ today. If you have questions about that, or maybe you are actually doing that and you want help to grow spiritually, I want you to write this number down. I'm going to call it out twice. 888-537-8720. One more time. 888-537-8720. Call that number Mondays through Fridays during business hours, Eastern Time in the United States, and tell the operator what you need. You want to come become a Christian. You want materials to help you grow as a new believer in Christ. You want to find a church where you are. Call that number and you will receive spiritual help. Now, speaking of help, I need your help on something. I'm wanting to have you help me 
spread the word about dredhill.podbean.com this week in the word. I want you to tell others that they can listen. They can find it on iHeartRadio podcasts. They can find it many other places where podcasts are found. But, you know, why make stuff hard? Just tell them, hey, type it in your search bar already. D-R-E-D-H-I-L-L dot podbean dot com. But I need you and I need you to tell them to do something. I can email out (laughs) that I put up a, a podcast, a new one, to everybody in the whole United States. So you know what would be better? There's a subscribe button. Subscribe to this and you'll be notified automatically every week when a new episode is posted. Well, listen, I'm glad you listened today. I hope I've given you a lot to wrestle with, think about, and I've just ruined your night's sleep because you're going to have to grapple with some of the things you heard. But you'll be better for it, and I'm not sad I did it. God bless you. This week is my prayer. I look forward to having you on our next episode. Thank you. Bye-bye.